Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Good morning, First Baptist Church of Keller family. This is Pastor Keith Sanders. I'm on the third floor of First Baptist Church of Keller campus, and it's Saturday morning where I am. You may be listening to this at a later time, but uh, I want to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm here with Rob Eisenman, and we are recording this week's sermon, obviously because we have canceled services here on the First Baptist Keller campus. I'm holding in my hand the bulletin that was planned for this week, and it's full of all sorts of meetings, and all of those meetings and times have one thing in common. They've all been canceled, and I think that's a fitting metaphor because there's an old Yiddish proverb that says, we plan and God laughs, and sometimes I think it's important to realize that uh, God is sovereign and we are not. The world has changed since we last met together. In the 20 years that I've been a member of this church, I can only remember two occasions that caused us to deviate from our schedule and our announced sermon text to address a current event. The first was on 9-11, and the other was Hurricane Katrina. Well, let the record show that the third is COVID-19, the coronavirus. It's in the news. It's the subject of conversations. It's on all of our minds. There are constant reminders of the invisible dangers. Last Sunday morning, I said in passing that I believe that this crisis is a great opportunity for Christians to manifest a fundamentally different worldview to a lost and dying world. I believe that now more than ever. So as we did after 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina, I want us to be reminded from the scriptures how Christians are to handle crisis. The text this morning is just one verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. This was a letter, of course, written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, and he gives them instructions on godly living. In Philippians 4, 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The book of Philippians is often referred to as the epistle of joy. At least 15 times in this short letter, the Apostle Paul makes explicit reference to to the believer's joy. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, and right after love is joy. You likely know what Paul knew, that the greatest enemy to joy is not sadness or grief, it is anxiety, which is really fear concerning the future. Sadness or grief typically follow a tragedy or loss and is not prohibited in the Bible. We know it's not a sin to cry. Because the shortest verse in the Bible is John chapter 11, verse 35, which simply states, Jesus wept. Now, the Apostle Paul clarifies in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that believers don't weep as those without hope. Our sadness is temporary, no matter the cause, because the Lord's promise in Revelation 21 is to wipe away every tear permanently. So here in Philippians 4.6, The Apostle Paul creates a list of all the circumstances of life, all the scenarios in which it is appropriate for a child of God to worry and to be anxious. I'll tell you, it's a very short list. In fact, it's not really a list at all. It's an imperative of command. We read it this way. 
God commands all Christians to be anxious about the following things. Are you ready? Here it goes. Be anxious about nothing. It's worthy to note some things that didn't make the list. The economy, for example, including our investments, our 401ks and retirement plans. Our children didn't make the list of things that we should worry about, their health and their future. In fact, our own lives did not make the list. And conspicuously absent from the list is COVID-19. Well, you say, Pastor, it's irresponsible to tell people not to worry about these things. They are anxious. Shouldn't you be telling us how to manage our anxiety or, or minimize it? Well, only if we want to get in the habit of telling people to manage their sin rather than putting sin to death. And at the risk of being unkind, somewhere along the way, we evangelicals, and particularly we Baptists, have made peace with the sin of worry as if it is a foe that is more powerful than the grace of God. This, friends, is a command, not only from the Apostle Paul's pen, but more importantly from the Spirit of God. This command not to worry is is not a suggestion. It is a prohibition. Read it that way. Thou shalt not worry. Really, in the Greek text, Paul is saying stop worrying. Apparently, it was something that the Philippian church was known for. So so let's take a step back. Is it possible that the Apostle Paul is being overly harsh to weaker brethren who are not as strong as he? Is he exaggerating for effect when he says, be anxious for nothing? I think not. In truth, Paul is simply repeating a doctrine that none other than the Lord Jesus declared during his earthly ministry. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We pastors love to hear pages turning. I'm imagining thousands of pages turning right now. Are you there? Matthew 6, 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek for these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Those are the words of Jesus. Well, it's clear that the Lord and the New Testament forbid worry for the believer. So the question is, why? What is the harm in anxiety? Well, medical science tells us that it can do great harm to our bodies, shorten our lifespan, but spiritually speaking, the damage can be even worse. First, anxiety and worry in the life of a believer calls into question God's providential power and perhaps even his character. 
Again, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, what things is he referring to? Well, the necessities of life, the things we tend to worry about, what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to drink. The truth is that our needs are exceedingly few. Scripture says, my God shall supply all of your needs. When we worry, we are questioning either God's ability to meet our needs as his children, or even worse, we could be questioning his willingness to meet our needs. One is as bad as the other. Either he has the power to provide and he won't, or else he lacks the power to provide, and at that point, he no longer is the God of the Bible. Jesus said to the Pharisees, If you being evil, that is compared to a holy God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father gives good gifts to you. Further, the scripture says, if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. And so when we doubt, when we worry about the future, when we have anxiety about tomorrow, we call into question God's ability as a good father to provide, or it's his character. Now, the second reason we shouldn't be worried is that it gives the lost and dying world reason to reject the gospel. Did you notice that Jesus said that when we worry, we're being just like lost people? He says the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. As we go through this particular medical crisis in our country, if we show panic, if we show fear and anxiety, we will lose a great opportunity for a lost and dying world to observe our life, to see the difference within us, and ask about the hope that is within us. In short, if we are no different than the world, they'll have no need to ask. There's a third reason why we should not be anxious or worried about the future, because it is, for the believer, altogether illogical. Now, I had made plans like you had for Sunday. In fact, I had planned on preaching a sermon on Sunday morning from Romans chapter 1, which says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That word power in the Greek is dunamis, where we get the English word dynamite. It's explosive, powerful. Explosive power. So it's illogical to say that as Christians, we believe that the power of God is enough to give spiritual life to dead sinners. It's powerful enough to transfer our eternal destiny from heaven to hell, and yet not powerful enough to sustain us through anything that this life can throw our way. That's simply illogical. Well, there's fourth thing, fourth reason why Christians should not be full of anxiety. And that is, it calls into question God's word. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. God says that his promises are faithful and true. He cannot and he will not lie. Now, if I know anything about the people of First Baptist Keller, we are people of the book. We profess that the Bible is altogether inerrant, that it is without error, that it is without fault, and that it can never fail. It is infallible, we say. And yet here is a great opportunity, isn't it, for us to put our money 
where our theological mouth is. Just listen to just a few of the promises of God in Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And so when we call upon one another as believers not to be full of fear, anxiety, or worry, it's not just a placebo. It's not a sugar pill we give to help our children sleep at night. It's based on bedrock theological truth. It's based on the promises of God that he goes ahead of us. That is, he sees what's going to happen in the future, even though we can't. And then he promises to be with us, that he will guide us on the right path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He knows what lies ahead. Another promise is Isaiah 43, 1. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Now, the Lord is going to take care of that which is his own, not only as a good father, but as a creator. And so as we look at what's happening in the world, understand that God has already done the greatest thing that he could do to prove his love for us, and that is giving that which was most precious to him, his own dear son. He has redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. He has adopted us into his forever family, and he's not going to let us go. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It may seem from watching the news and hearing people talk that uh, there's nothing solid. Those things that the world typically trusts in, investments, money, governments, seem to be unstable. And yet there is one thing that will never change, and that is the Lord. He is our rock, our fortress. We run to him. He is our stronghold. Then, of course, probably in the New Testament, one of the most famous verses for times like these in all times, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Undergirding and overarching Everything that's happening in the world is this exceeding great and precious promises. God causes all things, all things includes COVID-19, all things are working together for our good and God's glory according to his purpose. That tells us that he is sovereign, he's in control, he's on his throne. Now take those four simple promises from Scripture and contrast them with what the Apostle Paul had to say to the Philippian church in chapter 4. He told them to worry about nothing. And then he says, on the positive side, all things work together for good. That is, nothing is worthy of our anxiety and worry because all things are working together for our good. Well, I expect by this point some of you are thinking, Well, Pastor Keith, I don't want to worry. I don't like worrying. I just can't help it. It's just who I am. I think there's some truth that uh, some of us are more disposed to anxiety and worry 
than others. And so I want to give you some hope. There is a clear biblical alternative to worry. Let's go back now to our original text, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. So Paul has instructed the Philippian believers, and therefore all of us, to be anxious for nothing. But he didn't stop there. He continues on and says, In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What he's calling us to do is to replace anxiety with thankful prayer. Now, when I was a boy, we used to sing a song quite often called Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. And I think that is the greatest antidote to anxiety there is. Prayerfully thanking God for the good things in your life. Let me give you some suggestions. If you can think of nothing else to give thanks to God for today, thank him for your salvation through grace alone and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, that he chose you before the foundation of the, of the world to be his child, and that he brought someone into your life who told you the good news gospel. He opened your spiritual eyes and granted you faith and repentance and he is sustaining you throughout this life. And one day, either through death or through his second coming, he's going to bring you to glory. What a glorious truth that is. What a shield that is against whatever is going on in our life that is deemed to be negative. But there are other things in our life that we can give thanks for. Most of us sitting here today have not tested positive for COVID-19. In fact, the majority of us are enjoying good health, though many of our brothers and sisters are ill. And so when we're enjoying good health, it's appropriate and right to thank the Lord for that. As I look out my third story window here, I see puddles of water. The Lord blessed us with life-giving rain, and the sun is threatening to poke through the clouds. And the springtime reminds us that the Lord's mercies are new every day. I'm thankful for our church family. I'm thankful that even though we can't meet together corporately, I'm thankful that the church is not a building. The church is God's people, and he has given us one another to do life together, to be accountable to the covenants that we've made before him, and to encourage one another to godliness and to truth. And I'm looking forward to the time when we can meet together again, but until then, I call us to prayer. I'm thankful that our president has issued a call throughout the nation to make this Sunday a national day of prayer. But of course, for believers, every day is a day of prayer. I'm thankful that our Southern Baptist Convention has called upon all 47,000 churches to make this Sunday a day of prayer. And, and I, your pastor, call upon you to use the time away from this campus and from this building to pray. Let me give you a few suggestions of things uh, to pray for. One is, let's pray for the sick. Obviously, uh, many people are affected more than just simple inconveniences of crowded grocery stores and being unable to leave their home. Many people actually have this virus and are struggling for their lives around the world. Let's pray that the Lord would heal them and that uh, he would give wisdom to our leaders, both nationally and internationally and locally, 
to make wise and prudent decisions. Let's pray for those in our own community and in our own church who are particularly vulnerable to sickness, those with compromised immune systems and ongoing underlying ailments already. Let's just pray for one another. Can we do that? Just agree that you're going to pray for the people in your Sunday school class and the people that traditionally sit beside you and around you during church. Pray for your staff, your pastors, that we would have wisdom. Pray for opportunities for the gospel to be manifest, even in a world that seems to be in panic. Because as believers, there's no circumstance, there's no time for us to be panicked. Jesus says this is what the unbelievers do. They are eagerly seeking after these things that they think they need to survive. But as believers, our hope is in the Lord. He is steadfast, unmovable, the rock of our salvation. Let's go to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to speak to the members of First Baptist Church of Keller and perhaps others. And Father, I thank you for the technology that you provided that even though we can't be together physically, that we can share and come around your word and be encouraged by it. Father, I thank you for protecting so many from this illness and, and other devastating things. And Father, you're a good and a benevolent and a merciful God. You're our creator, but you're also our sustainer. You're our provider. Most importantly, you are our savior. We thank you, Father, that in your timing, you sent Jesus into the world just the right moment to live a perfect, righteous life, to go to the cross as the substitution in our place to die for the sins that we had committed. And Father, we are grateful that on the third day he rose again and that he was born witness to by hundreds and that on the 40th day he ascended from the Mount of Olives into heaven where he is seated with you at the right hand of the Father. And one day he's coming again for his church. But Lord, we know until then the Bible promises that things will wax worse and worse. And Father, um, the signs of sin's effect on our world are evident around us all the time, including this coronavirus. So Father, we pray as the sovereign God of the universe that you'd be merciful. Father, I pray your protection upon the elderly and, and the sick among us. I pray, Father, that all of us would make wise and prudent decisions. I pray for our president, our governor, our mayor, all others in authority over Father. Father, help them to make those decisions that are in accordance with uh, sound judgment. But Father, we know you're God and none of us are. You are sovereign. And so as your children, we need not worry or fret or be anxious. Father, I pray you'd calm our hearts and minds. You have promised, Lord, here in Philippians chapter 4, as we come to you with thankful prayer, the peace which passes human comprehension, that is our neighbors won't even know what to do with it. So they'll come to us and ask the question, why do you have this hope within you? And so, Father, when they do, we pray that we could clearly articulate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, not for our sake, but for his glory. Help us, Lord, as the church to be salt and light in this community today and always. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. We plan to have the offices open through the week. If you have needs, please call us at 817 
431-2545 during regular office hours, or you can reach us by email, and all of the staff emails are listed on our church's website, which is www.fbckeller.org. May the Lord bless you until we meet again. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.